When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Raising kids here has been surprisingly like delightful. So really, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's oh, so much so great culture for them, and we're always going to the museums. And there's so many great nature right. parts and nature right, parts. Right. <laughs> nature parts. We got some nature parts too. <laughs> yeah, you know the nature yeah. parts. I'm Alex Higley, and I'm Lindsay Hunter, and, and I'm, I'm a, a writer, writer but. <laughs> Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Erica Krauss, who is the author of Come Up and See Me Sometime, a New York Times notable book and Contenders, a finalist for the VCU Cable First Novelist Award. Erica's fiction has been published in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, Plowshares, One Story, and more. She teaches creative writing at the Lighthouse Writers Workshop and lives in Colorado. Her debut memoir, Tell Me Everything, has been optioned for TV adaptation by Playground Entertainment. Welcome, Erica. Thank Welcome. you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We are so excited. I was nervous, like <laughs> sitting here waiting for this to start because I like, I, I feel kind of starstruck. Yes. <laughs> this is uh, as excited as I've been for an episode. Truly, I love, love this, this book. book. Yeah. Oh, Just thank you. Absolutely. So kind of you. Yeah, oh, like my hands you. were shaking and everything. So I'm excited oh. to like... <laughs> throw it over to you so I can vibrate in silence while you read to us oh thank you so much yeah okay um well now I'm nervous okay (laughs) um so I'm gonna read from uh the beginning of the book and it's the first chapter and it's uh, the chapter is called the face I became a private investigator because of my face it's an ordinary looking face but if I ask how are you sometimes people start crying I'm getting a divorce, they say. He ended our marriage by text. Or, I was just diagnosed with late-stage Lyme disease. Or a man grips a packet of peas in the frozen food aisle and asks, How do you cook these? My wife died last month. Or an immaculately dressed woman suddenly tells me, I hate my job so much I want to kill myself. I've been saving up Ambien's. Then we sit on a concrete curb or stand in line at a train station or clutch clear plastic cups at a party as the near stranger in front of me dabs away mascara with a cocktail napkin and dumps out her mind like it's her purse, like I'm the one who can sift through the dust and use tissues to find what she's looking for. Demographics don't seem to matter. Young, old, women, men, non-binary, gay, straight, rich, poor, east, west, everyone tells me things. A woman with 26 grandchildren and 15 great-grandchildren whispered to me on her, on her 101st birthday party that she wished she'd never had kids, that she had wasted her life on all these people. After I volunteered at an elementary school, a six-year-old followed me all the way to the bathroom to tell me in Spanish that her daddy's not going to come home anymore. Even as a kid, I was a storage locker for people's secrets. Grown-ups confessed their affairs, lost fetuses, traumas. When I was seven, my maternal grandmother told me her husband chased her with a knife. 
when my one of my elementary school teachers told me he was leaving his wife because she hoarded pizza boxes and dead bugs. When I was 14, my mother's friend yucked me aside and said, I just want to say your mother's a bitch. You know she's a bitch, right? When I was 17, X, my abuser, blurted out that he had denied a promotion to a friend at work because he was black. This wasn't intimacy. We hated each other. I thought that was just how other people were, confessing things all the time, that everyone experienced these constant revelations from both kin and strangers. Except people would always say, I don't know why I'm telling you this, or I've never told this to anyone before. Nobody told my older sister or younger brother these things, even though we look similar. So it must be me, something I was doing, right or wrong or neither. Something in my face bore the shape of a key or a steel table on which to lay something heavy. Where do I know you from? Strangers asked brightly. One surreal morning on a springtime park bench, three strangers in a row insisted they knew me as each sat down in turn. Do you work at the library? Do you know Pat? Do you eat at Dots? I said, no, I just have a familiar face. This happens to me all the time. One woman said, with that face, you must have a tough time even going outside without people bugging you. Does a familiar face imply a forgettable one? One ex-boyfriend forgot my name. This is, um, he said, actually snapping his fingers, trying to introduce me to his new girlfriend. Another ex-boyfriend remembered my name, but forgot we had been together for a year. What's it like to date you, I wonder, he flirted over the phone, until I reminded him we did not date not long ago, and he had sort of kind of proposed to me amid a watch of emotion that he felt after a screening of Moulin Rouge. But how could I get mad at him? Nobody remembers a mirror. When I was 13, my family moved to Japan for four years. The first year, nobody seemed to understand anything I said. No, no, they said, waving their hands in front of their faces. No speak English. But I'm speaking in Japanese, I said in Japanese, and they stared blankly at my casual body, my oddness. At some point, without realizing it, my gestures morphed from American to Japanese ones. I covered my teeth when I smiled, nodded in short bows, kept my fingers pressed tightly together, pinned my elbows to my sides. My Japanese hadn't improved much, but people now called me fluent, peta peta. They would talk and talk and talk to me, way beyond my capacity to comprehend the language. They insisted I was half Japanese, half Odessa. My mimicry was getting me adopted. Keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer, even if you have to become just like them. As a child, whenever I had to take car trips with X, it was safer to sit directly behind him, because he couldn't hit me without having to pull over and haul me out. Sitting there, I felt like his lesser shadow. I couldn't read a book because it made me carsick, so I spent the time memorizing the back of the head I hated most. If the car came to a sudden stop, I pitched forward until I could smell the dead skin stench of his hair, terrified I might somehow merge right into his body. Imitation isn't flattery, it's protection. There's a class of animals called mimics who pretend to be other kinds of animals to avoid becoming the delicious prey they indeed are. The powdery gray owl butterfly bears a convincing owl-eye spot on each wing, guarding it from bird attack. The harmless milk snake <clears throat> imitates venomous copperheads and coral snakes with bright red-orange bands to ward off predators. Their lies are their hides. Tear a mimic free from her disguise, and you'll find only inner flesh, viscera, a heart emptying its last blood into the dirt. She will die and be eaten unless she learns how to rip off your disguise first. Erica, I'm so glad you read the opening for us because <clears throat> as soon as I read the opening page of this book, I, I knew two things. I, I knew that you wrote fiction, even though I, I, I was <laughs> not familiar with your work because it just had that incredible clarity and snap to the sentences mm -hmm. that 
there was just no way you weren't a fiction writer. <laughs> and the other thing was, I, I was just stunned at when I finished the book, how you decided to open there because mm-hmm. you're in the, in the world of the book so immediately and you have woven several of the threads that are con- going to continue throughout the, the, the book right away. But there's also a kind of, I just was, I was just was stunned by the opening, to be honest. And I wanted to know if that's something that you had as an entry point early in drafting, or if you found your way into this book, this opening later on. That's an interesting question because uh, as a fiction writer, you know, you know that the entry into a book is the character, right? And it's really hard to think of yourself as a character, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially when you spend your life not thinking of yourself as really anything, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I knew that I had to establish kind of a right to tell this story because it's a, it's a really intense story that involves people who are not me, who, who involves a historic lawsuit that I, you know, I wasn't the lawyer, I wasn't the plaintiff, I was just a person working on it, right? So I had to sort of show why me um, for that mm-hmm. story. And the reason why me is that I did this particular job interfacing with people um, and getting them to trust me and getting them to talk to me about their worst day, really. Um, And the way I would do that wasn't just um, the way I would learn about them was through their face. You know what I mean? That's how you meet each other, right? You you look at each other's faces and you sort of learn a little bit from their expressions, et cetera. But I thought, okay, if I'm going to establish myself, I really do have to talk about my own face, right? Mm. (laughs) And the face that that people are going to see from then on um, in every single interaction. And that will make them um, decide to trust me with their stories or not. Mm. When, at what point did you know, okay, I have a book here and I want to, I want to write this book? Oh my gosh, I came to this so reluctantly. You wouldn't even believe. Um, <laughs> like, I well, first, I was never, ever, never going to write a memoir. That was one of those like, I'll write anything, <laughs> but not a memoir. Wow. <laughs> um, and you know, I just, I didn't. Well, I didn't think I had enough to say, honestly. And then, um, and and this story also never really felt like mine to start with mm-hmm. because, again, I was an investigator, but I wasn't, say, the, the lead attorney, and I wasn't a, any of the plaintiffs. I wasn't even one of the ma- major witnesses. So I, you know, I was just the person who dug around. So I, I never, I really did not think this was going to be a story for me. Um, but what, what ended up happening, this story actually came out of rejection letters. So I submitted to, you know, the magazine Granta, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like that pie in the sky you want to publish there. Mm-hmm. right? You know? <laughs> so I submitted stories in three genres to them. I mean like over 20 years and they always said no um and um but over time you know the person who was saying no to me um became a specific person you know like he's like sending me directly you know but he was like a reader and then he got promoted and then he got promoted then he got promoted right um so so it was kind of I had this person again still getting the rejections um and I on one rejection he said, you know, still no, still kind of hate what you sent me, but, um, <laughs> oh <my> but, <laughs> I mean, he was nicer than that, but, um, but he said, uh, but I, I've seen from your cover letter, which I've read 400 times that you were a private investigator. Would you like to, you know, write something on spec for our mental states issues? And I said, absolutely. And he said, give me 3000 words. 
I gave him six. Mm. And it was this basically the, the Keystone essay for the for the book. And it was about the character um, that in the book is called Daisy, who's a sex worker who provided um, uh, sex workers for the um, the recruits in, mm-hmm. in the case. So I uh, so it was about her. And then as I was writing it, I was like, oh, my God, I, I'm leaving everything out. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm I'm writing this story. But as much as I'm writing, I feel like I'm not writing. And I it felt just so much bigger. And since I never even considered writing about this case, it almost was like there was this flood of or this it's like this pressure back, you know, pushing against uh, me <laughs> and mm-hmm. telling me, you know, say more, say more, say more. And um. So after I published that essay, which was, you know, was a career high, right, to publish there, um, I just, I just knew it was a bigger, a bigger story. I mean, I, just from the amount that I couldn't say in that short of a space. So I talked to my agent and I said, what do you think? And she said, okay, buckle up, let's try. Um, <laughs> I would think I would think she'd be like, oh fuck yes. Exactly. Well, she was very supportive. I yeah. maybe I was the one who was like, oh no. <laughs> I don't know if I want to think about this for you know two years or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was she was behind the project from the beginning. And if she I think if she had even been a little bit like I don't know. I don't think we should do it. I would have been like, sure, okay, great. We won't do it. Forget it. It's, it's forgotten. Been like, it's not thank God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. How... Some, some projects like push you, right? There are some like constraints you. in this uh, book, Erica, that mm-hmm. obviously have to do with some of the, you know, the fact that there was a, a massive lawsuit at the heart of this book, and right. there are survivors of horrific abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, how and so you know there are a number of names that are not given in the book and also you know a a large public university that is easily found out but not named in the book I was curious how early on those constraints or just decision to to especially with the more public names Mm -hmm. not I'm not obviously not referring to the to the victims of the abuse but right Things like that. Did you know very early on that that naming names in that sense um, was not going to be a facet of the project? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about that maybe more than anything, really, any other single topic. Um, so when I was a PI, the way I would find people was through if if I just had one name. And one name would give me at least five more because that's how we know about each other is through association with other people. Right. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I could find a lot of people from one name that I really better not be supplying those names. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because it, there's a big difference between me sort of dishing it all out on a plate and here, here are all the names of all the people in this very public lawsuit and also someone reading a 300 page book and then going on the internet and searching around and finding for themselves, you know? Um, so I, I felt like I, I wanted to protect the identities of the people who really wanted privacy, justifiably <laughs> and deserved privacy. Um, and that's why I, I made a, a weird choice to not even name, you know, the perpetrators or the, um, or the university, right? So I was sort mm-hmm. of going to these extremes. The thing that gave me more trouble was deciding not to name my own abuser because at, at first I was like, well, then I'm just like, it's, it felt like, um, like, like, a, like 
being an apologist or something for what he did. And mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I went back and forth about this a lot, you know, and then ultimately I thought about it very simply. I was like, well, do I want his name in my book yeah. <laughs> about right. my life? And I don't, you know, yeah. I, just, I felt like, and I also kind of feel like some things are a little bit more universal. Like the person who abused me um, really could have been a, a lot of different people also. Mm -hmm. And I, and is, you know, unfortunately there are a lot of people like that out there. And, um, and also the university that uh, made the choices that they made with regard to, you know, the survivors of, of this sexual abuse and, um, and violence, th that was a lot of universities doing that, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I kind of felt like in some ways not naming it is in, in some weird ways truer <laughs> than, um, than naming them. Because once you name them, then you're saying, oh, well, this person did it. And everyone can go, oh, phew, it's only them. Uh, but it's not. It was really all over the place. It also has this really impactful doubling effect, mm -hmm. uh, sim similar, I think, to what Grayson says to Erica in the book of, you know, we got to make sure this this is tying into the Title IX angle here. We want to go bigger. We want to go broader. And mm -hmm. I think every time you're not encountering the specific name of the university at the heart of this book, you are thinking about other football programs and other universities and other coaches and players. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not familiar with this part of the country or this particular football program, there's probably one you you have you're at least adjacent to whether it be because of your education history or where you live. And I think that that opening out in the book is one of the most powerful decisions that is on the page. It's just, it's really kind of astounding what it does. Yeah. I, thank you. I I've had more people than I can even believe come up to me and say, yeah, I, I went to this school and this thing happened and the same exact sequence of events, wow. the, the survivors were silenced. They were kicked out of the school. You know, it, it it's really, um, and just new stories all the time. And it's sort of also encouraging to know that those stories are becoming fewer and fewer as time goes on, you know? So someday this book will be a relic and I hope it happens soon, really, honestly. I like, I, I'd love to sacrifice that book to that cause of, of um, you know, this not even being a problem anymore, but it, it does continue. And it was today. wild how at the end you talk about these other cases that you began working on after this case that mm. became easier and easier because people were talking more. Mm. They were able to talk about it more and name names more and not have to live in fear. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you really do hope that that keeps getting better and better and better because right. it's devastating. It's, it's absolutely devastating what yeah. happened. Even, um, I don't know. Did you see the um, Netflix show, the chair? Have you watched that? show there's this, which one's that it's about this like little college and in there is a whole character who is a title nine coordinator and i was like we did that we created that there was never that, <laughs> that's did, amazing. that position didn't even exist before wow. you know and now this like even well it's fictional but like this little rinky dinky college has a title nine coordinator and I was like, oh <laughs> yes my but husband it, is the director of compliance at a small university and he also right. does title nine coordination right, so thank right. you <laughs> <laughs> thank him <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, so how did you start making this book? How did you, did you have, um, and this is related to a question I also wanted to ask you, um, was if you were writing during these years that you were a PI on this case, you know, did you have some, something that you were drawing from as you started to make the book? What did that process look like for you? Oh, I can tell you it was hairy because I, I knew I didn't want to spend 10 years on this book. I, I knew I would just 
become a nervous wreck if I Mm -hmm. spent 10 years on the topic, not only of, you know, this really amazing and historic, I mean, it's the first ever Title IX sexual assault case in history, right? So I'd be thinking about this all the time. And also my own experience, I was like, I I don't know if I could, I don't, I have to go hard on this. So, um, so what ended up happening, this is the only time this has ever happened, but we sold uh, the book on uh, proposal. It, mm. It'll be the only time it ever happens in my life, but it was- um, It sounds like something that happens to a writer in a movie, right? Like it's right. Like, and then you right. went and had, you know, like this great lunch at whatever, Gramercy <laughs> Tavern, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, like 30 years of my career, like it's happened once and it'll never happen again. <laughs> but, um, but so that happened and I was like, okay, no oh crap, you know, now I have to really do it. And then, uh, so- I, I hit it really hard. I spent two full months outlining, and I know that sounds weird, but um, it, to give you perspective, my outline was a hundred thousand words, Thanks and I was like pulling. That. Yeah, it was as big as the book, and I um, I pulled all my work materials, all newspaper articles I could find, all the court documents I could find, every public source and put them together and organize them into, um, and then like the rough chapters, you know, what is this chapter going to do? Um, what, you know, who's, who's in it and who, you know, and how to lay out the story. And I had to also like sort of compare it to the weather situations that were going on at the time. So I'm like doing the weather research. I'm doing all of it. Right. Um, cause we had fires at the time. It was all just like a mess. Um, is is like you know the end of days. <laughs> like people yeah, are like, I'm sure it felt like that. Yeah, something feels like that now sometimes. Here. Yeah, but absolutely. um, <clears throat> but so so that was two months, and then I wrote and revised it um, over just and keep in mind like my last book t- took ten years. Um, I wrote and revised it over thirteen months, which is so short for me. Um, but the way I did it was um, for this whole period, I worked these days that were just bananas. So I had what I called writing days and non-writing days. So on my writing days, that was Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, I would get up and start working at seven in the morning and I would stop at 10 or 11 at night and I'd take oh my, my meals at my desk. So it was oh. like this manic, <laughs> you know, vomit. And then, um, and then on my writing, non-writing days, I was working, you know, I was, you know, making money. <laughs> and then I would, uh, after and between my you know, regular work, I spent between four and eight out. Well, sometimes it was as little as two, but usually it was four to eight hours writing on the book too. So even my non-writing days, I was still logging in a lot of time, um, trying to get this done. So, and I never took a day off. So that was that period. (laughs) And then, um, and then I was finished with uh, the revision and then sent it off to my publisher and then I kind of collapsed. So mm-hmm. the whole process was 15, um, 15 months of, of the most intense writing work I've ever done. Um, yeah. That, and that's, does that, did that answer your question? It did. And I, I'm just wondering how it felt knowing <laughs> that it was finished and that you, you know, like, did, did it feel finished? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finished is a weird word, right? Yeah. Um, because especially with this book, it, it really wasn't finished after it was finished. So then it went through like the regular editorial rounds at, with the publisher, but we had to do also a legal read. And we did mm-hmm. that. We actually did that at two junctures because the book was shut down for seven months. Um, Why? For, because uh, some people got wind of it and decided that I couldn't write it. What? Yeah. Oh it was God. a pretty scary time because it was wow. COVID 
and um, oh you know my husband was out of work you know he runs an acupuncture clinic and I'm like oh. doing all this contract work around the clock to try and like make his clinic rent and our family you know like oh so it was just this like it was a really it was a hard time um and I was like oh and my career's over <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and that topic so that that took that was really um that was really hard I'll just be honest like you know, I, I started having like heart problems. Oh my <laughs> like, God. This book's going to actually kill me. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but you know, it all got, it, it got as close to resolved as it was going to. There wasn't any legal basis for the claim. It was just a, a tactic. Um, so, um, so we were able to revise. So then the le so the legal review was kind of cut up into two. And then that was always the, like the, um, the concern afterwards, like, oh, did we use the right word? And, you know, just revisiting all that language. So nonfiction, I mean, fiction is so beautiful and that that's not something you usually really have to worry about. No. But nonfiction, that is so much what you have to worry about. Mm. So it was an eye-opening experience for me. And then yeah, I never felt like it was done until I saw it between covers. And then I was like, oh my God, it actually is. That's a it's book. a book. Oh my God. <laughs> did the... The elements, some of the elements in the book that are, I think, elevated beyond, because just the core story is so unbelievable. And it seemed like I I was thinking if, if I was taking on this project, if this had been my life experience, I would be so daunted by just the bare facts of what you were working with. Mm -hmm. But some of the elements that really make this book i think uniquely special are you know the heidemann section mm. the uh the genie section is mm -hmm. i'm trying to remember is that the name of the feral yeah yeah genie. Yeah, yeah genie genie and some you know some of the other elements like that was that stuff that emerged during that 15 months that you were writing the book or was that stuff erica that you had had from your your private investigator days and you had just done some had done reading at that point mm -hmm. yeah so the you know the private eye uh anecdotes they came a lot of them came from my reading because i was like well what is out there about like private eye memoir <laughs> there's not much you know there's there really just isn't uh, a lot of private eyes they're people people so they don't really they're not they're not really writers you know what i mean um so i but I was very curious. I was like, well, you know, what have other people done? And um, what are some other cool stories that can connect with this one and, and give another side to it? So, so, <clears throat> so I looked into like, you know, just random thing. The Heidemann story, I think I found in a New Yorker that was from, you know, I don't know, I think it was written about in like 1930 or 20 or something like that. Wow. So, so I'm looking at, I was like thir the thirties because I remember seeing like all these, um, these war <laughs> more ads it was really oh, interesting wow. but um yeah so you know I, I found things in in really weird places and the genie story was just something that always kind of stuck inside me it, you know certain stories you go through in your life and you know they have these barbs and they sort of like they stick in you until you write about them and then you're it's kind of like you're loosening them up and letting them go on the page where they belong instead of hooked into you and and um, guiding your your motion your movements right um, so I I think that for me I really I really like anecdotes anyway and I I use them a lot in fiction um, so it was sort of uh, 
I just, I think it's a long-standing technique for me that I've always liked. And it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't care if it works really. You know what I mean? Like, I like I it totally, so much. Totally I love it, stories. Yeah. I just love the little yes. stories. And I like to just sort of connect your story to other stories and create this sort of web of stories um, because that's just what I love. So I don't know. Do you use those? Do you guys use those kind of? Not as well as you. Well, <laughs> okay. but do, do you have your little ticks right like your little things that you're like these are these are my ways and and if you don't like it you know screw off <laughs> That's right. oh yeah i i definitely have like i everything always has to have a smell in my writing yeah. like a very specific smell and it's sometimes it's gross and and i think <laughs> you know if i'm looking at my goodreads reviews people are like god you know please but i can't help it i just that's just that's just who I am. Right, right, yeah. In addition to those anecdotes that Alex brought up and that you love, the, your use of metaphor throughout the book is so delightful and beautiful um, that you'll just be describing a naked mole rat mm-hmm. um, after you're describing your childhood mm-hmm. or you're describing the Chinooks. You know, you talked a lot about the weather um, and and you're telling us about this because you're telling us about the place or you're telling us about something about you, but it does so much and it is so enriching and beautiful, just so beautiful. Um, and I just wanted to know like those, those metaphors, those moments as you were writing, did they come naturally? Like, was it sort of like, ah, yes. And this reminds me of the naked mole rat (laughs) that I, that I love, you know, or, ah, yes, let me talk about the Chinooks here. Right. You know, right. similar to the anecdotes, like, is that something that as you wrote, it was sort of just came over you? Like, um... I, th- I think, you know, I don't, you know, certain minds are warped in certain ways. Right. And mine, <laughs> my head is, and I think actually a lot of writers, I don't know if this is true for you guys when you write, but like, I think um, for me, it's sort of like this, I think of things in connection. I don't, I have to, you know what I mean? Or I don't understand them. I I can't understand anything all by itself. Even like a glass of water really doesn't make a lot of sense to me all by itself. And, and, you know, that might be partly because like, you know, my brain was broken at a really young age, Mm. but also I I just need to sort of create the web. Right. Um, So for me, when I'm writing, I'm always trying to find the example of the the exterior example, because I don't have confidence in my interior uh, thoughts and experiences, really, Mm. you know, it's really, I think it probably comes from not having a very clearly or well-defined feeling of self Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so if I can connect it to this this uh, thing in nature or this thing in you know the animal world or or this story of a PI or this story of another person that I interacted with then it makes it real but if it's all by myself and just my experience I'm going to have a lot of trouble with uh, believing my own experience Mm. to be either important enough to write about or um or even making any sense because what, you know, again, like the experiences I went through, just like, just like the, the ludicrous experiences in the case that I worked on and they're really hard to believe, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, so if someone had told me, oh yeah, you know, I went through, you know, this person went through this thing, I'd be like, no, I didn't really, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so weird. So, or just not weird, it's, weird's the wrong word. It's just, uh, it's hard to believe. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for me, I, I kind of felt like with, with um, the narrative of the case and also with my personal narrative, I had to sort of create a, 
a web of stories to to give it scaffolding or Mm -hmm. or, um that's part of that like truth is strange within fiction idea but even you know you have to with fiction right you have to create that suspension willing suspension of disbelief right i think in some ways you you really still have to do that with nonfiction too um and with nonfiction things are hotter to the touch it's really hard for a reader to say oh my gosh that is true and that happened and i'm, I'm going to keep reading rather than run screaming into the night right so you have to sort of create this almost like this um you have to surround them with with reasons to to keep going with with your story. Uh, that, anyway, that's how I felt. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's true for other people. I don't know. Do you guys ever feel that way? Or like, like you got to keep them, on, keep them on the page. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Don't go away. laughs> totally. Yeah. And I, I think it's those surprising pivots that that's what I look for when I'm reading. Mm. Um, and that's, that's what makes it so memorable for me. Mm. Um, and I was reading Patrick Hoffman's review of the book in the New York times. Um, mm which I have to say, like my husband was Googling this book and he was like, oh my God, Patrick Hoffman wrote the review. <laughs> he loves his books. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> he was like, this, oh my God, that's amazing. Anyway, that's so funny. He, and he was saying, you know, oh, you know, uh, writers of, tra- or readers of traditional true crime will, you know, mm. be annoyed by these, yeah. you know, these things that she talks <laughs> about, the weather and the this and the that. And right. I wanted to know if it, if it felt strange to you, um, that this book was being sort of, you know, marketed in some way as true crime, because that is a very rigid audience, right? Like that audience has expectations and they will, you know, they will let those expectations be known. Was it strange to sort of know that, oh, I'm going to be dipping my toe here? Yeah. I, yeah. The marketing piece that that's the thing is like, you know, the bookstores have their sections and you need to say where your book goes. Right. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a, section for me and I've always kind of felt I don't know if you've ever felt this way you guys but like I don't know if you know when you really write from and I know this sounds cheesy but you write from the heart right like when you really do that where's your section you know like Mm -hmm. what's your category really you're you're trying to not have one you're trying to be you're trying to do something new you're trying to do something you haven't seen before a million zillion times right you're trying to sort of play with structure and play with genre and play with just the whole idea of story to make your own personal brand of story. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so as far as that's concerned, I do know there are really rigid expectations with, um, with true crime. I mean, I, I just uh, the other day um, I interviewed uh, for chatter cover, um, Paul Holes, who's like, you know, oh, true crime, yeah. you know, like, you know, Golden State killers finder. Right. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and the, I guess it's just, filled with people who had like sweatshirts and like this whole and they oh, all he's got knew... like a whole like thing going okay. yeah like empire right so yeah. um and they knew just as much as you know they knew so much about his cases so they're like asking all these questions like what about the town hall meeting and what about you know like all this <laughs> oh stuff that's not even in the book and i'm like oh, oh my gosh so you know so again and and there's a there's a difference between what what i was doing and and that so it's it is um it is kind of it's it's a little confusing and I, I do I do wonder if you know if if it's true that like if someone is really into true crime and they they pick up the book they'll they'll be like well this is <laughs> this is a bummer but I I I have to hope that you know a good story is a good story and I, I tried to write a good story and I tried to again do that do that new thing uh and so I so I don't know I don't know how I feel about the marketing you know, I, I don't know. How do you guys feel about like, you know, 
do you how do you feel about genre i i kind of curious like do, what do, you, do you think books should have genres or should it just be like good book medium book bad book <laughs> in, <the store. laughs> in our future bookstore that's how we right. write <laughs> the books on the shelves like don't even look at these over here right or these like you want to laugh you want to laugh you go over here you want to cry you go over here you want to be angry you go over here <laughs> well reading reading for this show is kind of interesting in that way because you know we're doing pretty much an episode a week and mm -hmm. getting through sometimes getting through the books and sometimes it's a joy but sometimes it's less a joy that's okay everybody's great Alex, um, what are you doing? <laughs> but you know you you come to the i come to the books pretty you know just blank i i, I don't read the reviews i don't mm -hmm. google the author i kind of just pick it up and go and mm -hmm. I honestly, until because I actually have not read any reviews of the book, Erica, I, until Lindsay said it, I did not even think of this as true crime, as crazy right. as that is. Totally. I, it says it's, it's, it's a very structurally, I feel like this is like a very novelistic memoir. Mm -hmm. The way that you, you pull, you know, you pull in so many different things and just characterization feels novelistic to me in the best mm -hmm. way. It doesn't feel... I don't know. Not that, not that I think necessarily true crime is, uh, you know, would hamper that understanding. I don't know. I just, I don't know. It, it doesn't. It does. It really feels like there needs to be a new category because like my favorite quote, true crime books are mm -hmm. like this. I loved this and I loved the fact of the body down city, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. after the eclipse. I love books that blend um, one of my favorites is um, Strange Piece of Paradise, which is um, written by a woman who was attacked in her tent with her oh. friend. And and then it's her investigation into trying to figure out who did that to them. And oh. it's it's this blend of the personal and also the universal right. rather than um, let's talk about this serial killer, um, which right. I, I'm also like, I've, I've also read those books, but these are my favorite kinds. And, and it, it really isn't true crime is not the, the phrase. Right. But what is it, you know, like, and I know right. we're so they're searching, they're searching books They're. I feel like yeah. there's so That's much. Good, yeah. I was thinking of this. I mean, you just mentioned, sir, but I was thinking of, of, uh, in Zodiac, the feeling you get watching the movie Zodiac. I love That's Zodiac. my favorite movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I that, love that one. I watch that the way some people watch yeah. You've Got Mail. Like totally. I watch it as a comfort. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, yes. so it's absolutely wonderful. Yes. But just that, just that you get so invested in the search and there's so much hope in that search and there's so much love for people in that search and obsession, even if it wrecks you. And I feel like right. there's some, there's definitely some of that here and that just, you know, I don't know, use the, use the phrase earlier, you know, these stories that get their barbs in you. And I feel like a lot of these great, you know, novelistic memoirs or, or searching books, they're about people who have, who have barbs in them and are, and are trying to get them out. And right. they, yeah, I mean, I definitely. But I don't really like, oh, is, is, yeah, excellent. And it, but it's also like a lot of, I don't know if you find this to be true with a lot of memoirs, but like um, a lot of them are kind of plotless. Have you noticed mm. this? Like they, mm. they're about a condition. They're about like, okay, well, this person has a situation, but they, they, the plot doesn't really evolve. Right. It's almost like, you know, I had this problem and, 
you know, I had a lot of feelings about it and then now I don't have those feelings anymore. You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> so, so, uh, so for me, again, I, d- I didn't want to be under memoir either because I was like, it's not really a memoir. It's, it's right. like a story of a case, right? It's a story of the, this investigation that yes. was, and it's mostly not about me. It's mostly, so to ca- even call it a memoir is, is, feels wrong too. Right. I, so I don't know. I, I, I think maybe if you're doing something that you, and you don't have no idea what you're doing, maybe that's the right way to go. You know what I mean? Like maybe mm-hmm. that's, maybe then you're doing something right as a writer because then you're, you're on untrodden ground. But if you're doing the thing where you're like, Oh, well, this is definitely, you know, this kind of literature is going to fit into this marketplace and etc. Well then why even do it? Because then there are plenty of other books out there <laughs> who are doing it. Right. Just read them. Oh, <laughs> I love how one. you, you've just murdered so many writers. <laughs> In like the it. past 45 <laughs> seconds, like whole swaths of memoir writers, oh, whole I'm swaths so of people who want to write books. You're just like, forget it. I who get needs it? No, they should still write it, but just no, make no, no. it theirs. You know what I mean? Just do yeah. their own. And there, there are a lot. I mean, I my favorite book is actually a memoir. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not meaning to sound like I don't like memoirs, but like, my, you know, my favorite book is, um, well, one of my very, very favorite books is um, West Within Night by Beryl Markham, you know, and that's a oh. memoir. Come you know, on, I forgot about that book. How could I have amazing. forgotten? It's amazing. And I haven't it, read it since college. Yes, it's amazing. And, you know, but it's like a memoir, but it's also like, it's not about her sitting there, you know, having feelings and we're watching her have feelings. It's her <laughs> doing stuff. You know, right. she's like, do, she's like. And having feelings. <laughs> and having feelings, right? But interesting feelings that are different yes. from other feelings that you, you've ever heard of. So I, so I think for, um, you know, so for me, like, that's the kind of memoir I like is when, where there's, there's, a, he, they're heavily plotted. And, you know, Alex, you were talking about it, you know, the novel aspect. And I think that was for me, the only way I was ever going to write a memoir is just mm. if, it, if it had a plot, like, uh, like a novel, like plot. And that's why I never thought I would write a memoir until I really hit on, I was like, wait a second, this five year period of my life it has that arc it has the the novelistic arc and i can see the whole shape of it uh and i also didn't have to make anything up which was kind of nice you know yeah. i was like it's all right there there, <laughs> so there are nice. parts where i was like you know if i were making writing a novel and they were able to change things i would sort of change this structurally just to to make it a little bit more um you know you're it, to fit, make it fit that arc a little bit more because you are hampered by that non-fiction aspect you really aren't allowed to make up <laughs> you aren't allowed to make up your life you have to really say what happened but um but other than that you know if i were to write anything else about my life it just doesn't fit that shape i mean at the end of the book you mentioned that um you had to play with the timeline a little bit to make it yeah. fit better into the plot right. um and was that clear to you in the outlining or was that clear to mm-hmm. you later as you were writing it out or um you know, that was making clear it into a book. right away. Right away. Because, okay. Yeah. I mean, there, there, all those things happen in that time period around or, or a year, you know, the, the things that I um, messed around with a little bit were my, it was my own timeline. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it was still that same, <clears throat> that same period. Right. Uh, it was just, you know, did this happen before that? No, it actually happened after, you know, in my personal life. Right. Um, yeah. But, but no one cares, right? They don't care if like I lived in this place at this time or that time, or if they, if I, you know, um, well, we did hire a PI to follow you. <laughs> oh, no, oh. that's a very boring job. <laughs> <Yeah>. Jesus, so <laughs> aggressive, Lindsay. Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> it's just standard for every guest. I just um, have to pity that PI because they're really bored all day long. No, but I do think I do think people are are interested. You know, like people who are thinking about writing something nonfiction. I do think people are sort of they come up to these these issues maybe and and aren't sure how to proceed or you know. And so it's interesting right. to hear the choices that you made, even though they were small. You know, and and right. in the long run, it didn't really matter. But it, it's um, it's a way of like taking control of even though it's nonfiction, taking control of its, you know, its overarching right. structure, I guess. Right. I, you know, I teach and uh, at Lighthouse Writers Workshop and I teach at a two-year program. It's a, um, it's a book writing program. Mm -hmm. So I am always getting on people about structure. I'm always saying, you know, you have to know where this is going. You have to know, mm -hmm. you know, where's your climax, where's your, you know, all these kinds of things. I'm, I'm, con and you know, I'm, I'm constantly, um, nagging and bothering them about structure <laughs> so it, it's it's kind of fun to um turn that on myself with a true story you know what I mean because yeah. it's like there there are it's, it's almost like there are these immovable structures that I couldn't mess with such as like you know the, the case really the case mm -hmm. and the case and the weather those are the two things that anyone <laughs> you know anyone could just easily find out um if i if i messed with those timelines right so so i kind of had to work around those things almost like there were big like trees in the middle of my like <laughs> construction project you know like <laughs> you, you know you're not going to chop down the tree so you have to like you know design around the tree um so so that that was a a unique challenge because i, I was really used to fiction and just you know you just change things and just make right. stuff up and oh well this character's gone and this character you know this is now two <laughs> this character's now three people or it's you know these three are one and 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 you can't really um with with something that has such a record it's so public there's so many articles about this and it was everywhere as an espn it was like you know sports illustrated and all the local news of course and new york times washington post so it, there's so much about this case. It was in Doonesbury. So like, they, you know, it was crazy. Sort of, I know. I know. It's in Doonesbury. So like, if you, you know, if you're doing something that public, you're really accountable. And just like in fiction, you know how you'll be reading fiction and someone does something that's so inconceivable in life. Like they go to a bar and they say, Hey, bartender, give me a beer. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like no one does that, right? Like, what beer? You know, what IPA? Or what? You know, so that something that simple will make the whole novel crumble. You know what I mean? Right. Something that implausible. We'll try doing that with an actual real life case that oh my God. has a paper trail. Um, one little error, and I and the whole thing can crumble. And if the whole thing crumbles, not only are they not not only are they doubting the book, but they're doubting. They could doubt even the whole the whole premise of the book, which are these mm -hmm. sexual assaults. And I didn't want that. I didn't want people to say, oh, well, you know, she, someone, someone ordered a beer. And then, <laughs> and so these people were not sexually assaulted. You know, like, you know, I didn't want it to go to that kind of ugly place, you know? Um, so there, I, I felt a lot of pressure to, to get things, get, get it right. And um, be as, as true as I can to the to the real story <laughs> yeah it reminds me Lacey Crawford's blurb says oh, yeah. that mm -hmm. it's told with incredible psychological insight and broad ethical attention and it's mm -hmm. exact exactly what you're talking about here oh, everything um, was a worry you know I, yeah. I didn't sleep really for the whole time oh <laughs> it, it was just, I would literally wake up in the middle of the night and say wait a second did I make that person a blonde or brunette? You know, because oh because I didn't want to out anyone, and I didn't want to you know create or or 
or sometimes I changed people. I would disguise them so much that I actually disguised them back to what they really looked like. And I'd be like, wait a second. No, 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 no. I can't. I got to change it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. There's a, there's an aside in the book, Erica, I think about halfway through where the Erica in the book is, is mentioning that the, the job is getting to her in the way that she's starting to kind of, um, interrogate her her friends people close to her <laughs> and uh, conversations are becoming more charged pushing people away whatever mm -hmm. that that kind of attention uh and i don't know in increased perception obviously it was something that you already had and why you were hired by grayson but did that impact how you created characters following doing that work in in your fiction what do you mean like the well just if bringing kind of the the skill set that you naturally had you know the face you already had that was that was causing people to tell you so much about themselves but kind of ramping up the intensity and using that professionally you know working on this case and other cases mm -hmm. did that impact the way you went back to your fiction and created people from whole cloth i think so and um i think part of it was i mean i you know you guys are you know you're writers you you know that you look at people differently and talk to them differently right you know it's it, it's like a it's there's a little greed a little bit of greed in it isn't there like you know someone's got a, a story or or something that they they've experienced or you're, you're picking up on their mannerisms or you're picking up on their patterns of speech, their voice, their, their way, right. Um, their psychology, their value systems, the way they view the world. So you can understand them and you're, you know, you're cross-referencing with, with other, other characters that you're thinking, you know, other people you're, you're thinking about. I, I think it's hard to turn it off, frankly. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's really hard to, um, it was hard for me as when I'm writing this book um, to recognize quote unquote material in a different way. So like as a fiction writer, right, you'll write about uh, something someone told you and uh, you, you stop thinking of it as real. You start thinking of it as yours. And um, I, with, with this, I realized, Oh my God, it's nonfiction. So I can't just take the story, plop it in there and not change it because um, you know, to disguise somebody because, because, you know, in that alchemy with fiction, you, you say, oh, well, it's fiction. Everyone's going to just think it's fiction. <laughs> so you can just use stuff, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there was this one detail a friend had given me about her life. And, um, you know, in, she was sort of opening up and she told me something extremely personal. And I had it on the first page. And then I realized pretty late in the game, I was like, wait a second, uh, she might not like that, you know, oh <laughs> she might, yeah. she, especially because it's nonfiction. If it were short story, I don't think she'd care. But I was like, wait, so I, so I contacted her. I said, Hey, uh, I kind of put that, that thing you told me <laughs> oh my um, in my book. How do you feel about that? And she's like, take it out. So I did, you know, of course it did. Right. Um, immediately. Right. I was like, stop the process. I mean, it wasn't that oh late, but, um, but it was sort of like that because I was just, like, there's a, just a different meaning to everything. Um, and I have been doing that, honestly, since I was I don't know, 19, maybe, you know, I've been, you know, talking to people and then, <laughs> you know, 
you know, often changing what they say, but sometimes not. Sometimes they just put their stories in there um, because there's also that feeling of like, who's going to read it anyway? Nobody reads, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Nobody fucking reads. Who cares? It's true. I, I, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, my family's going to see this and they're going to recognize nope. it and they never do. Right. Never. Right. It's just wild. You change the hair color maybe, or, you know, or, or people don't necessarily even recognize themselves. They don't recognize themselves. They really don't. Yeah. They can't recognize what they don't read. That's true. true. It works for all of us, Uh, honestly. That's true. true. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Did did anything surprise you um, about how you feel having this book out? Yeah, a lot surprised me. Um, I had well, I was just really ready to fight people about it. (laughs) I was really, Mm. you know, I was like, okay, it's you know, people are gonna hate me, and that's gonna be okay, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm going to be okay with that, you know, even though I have this like pathological need to make people like me, I'm like, I'm just going to be okay with being hated. And uh, so I was really ready for all kinds of um, viciousness that hasn't, I mean, there've been a few, there've been a few people, but, but um, what I wasn't prepared for is how embracing and loving a lot of people have been. I've, uh, you know, people have emailed me and said, you know, this is my story too, or this, this affected me and here's why, uh, you know, sometimes I, you know, on a few days I've opened my email and then like read like a message or two and I'm just weeping because people are, are, you know, they're telling me that, um, that the book helped them. And that is amazing. That's an amazing feeling because I don't know, as a fiction writer, that doesn't often happen. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. at least not my fiction, maybe you guys, but not me. (laughs) So, (laughs) Alex, like, nope. <laughs> right? You know, so you know, fiction is a different response rate, but with with nonfiction, you actually have, uh, you know, you have that opportunity to um, by telling your story to make other people feel like they they can tell theirs, and and a lot of the people who need to tell those stories have been so silenced their whole lives that it's a uh, there's a different level of um, of disclosure that that's coming. Um, with regard to to this book as opposed to any story I've ever written, any book I've ever written or anything. So um, so that surprised me. It surprised me how emotional I felt. <laughs> um, because, you know, I'm a rhinoceros by this point. It's been like 30, you know, over, well over 30, well, gosh, 35 years or something. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I mean, I'm 28, so it's only been. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. What are you That's talking about? <laughs> I know. It's been like yesterday. I've been writing a year. No, just kidding. Um, um, no, so you know, as a woman of a certain age, it, it's been a longer career, and by now I've got a lot of calluses. But I'm finding what's surprising me is that um, this experience is sort of uh, definitely softening some of those calluses, and I'm finding myself very more connected to readers than I've ever felt before. Mm. And that's been, I, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm, you know, that's, that makes me very, feel very emotional mm-hmm. and weepy and it makes me feel more connected to the world. So that, um, it just mm-hmm. as a, just as a writer, uh, usually, you know, you're, you're off in your little corner making your stuff up and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and again, like, you know, it's, there's a lot of isolation to it, but this has been a, a very connective experience and that's, 
been huge, huge surprise. It's beautiful because I feel like that's why a lot of us read is to find mm -hmm. ourselves somehow is to find something yeah. to connect or, or show us ourselves. Um, and you wrote something that did that for you. Right. I know what a beautiful, weird experience. Amazing. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of always feel like, you know, we're, we're very siloed and isolated in communities. Um, and a book is kind of like the hub of a wheel. Like mm -hmm. you, you know, you're on, you're over here and someone's over there and you would never connect, but through this book, you sort of do, you know, mm -hmm. like, even if you don't know it, even if you don't know that someone over in Topeka read this book and you read that book too, and you both had the same kind of experience, but you might meet that person from Topeka. Right. And then right. you might say, Oh my God, I read, you know, Lindsay Hunter's book. And it's like, it was the most yeah. amazing experience People of my life and it's changed me. And like, it, you know, I, and I, and I now see the world differently and they'll say, yes, I did me too. Right. So it's this thing that can bring people together in a way that really nothing else can. Um, no other artwork can. way that I uh, can like meaningfully communicate with a certain person in my family at this point in my life. <gasps> right. I just mail her books like on birthdays and stuff oh, and Christmas, you know, yeah. and, um, and she reads them and it's, it's like a way for us to like, it's the only way that we can actually have right. sort of meaningful connection at this point. <laughs> right. Sometimes it's like you're, you, you're so different politically or you're so yeah. different, you know, mm -hmm. with your value system or, you know, the things that you, you believe. Um, but then you find this book that you both can love and you can, and there's this, and suddenly there's a way for you to love each other. Right. Exactly. Through like I'm not giving up on you. Right. Right. And, yeah. and not only that, but you're investing, you're investing in, right. in each other. Right. It's really meaningful when a family member or somebody will read the books that you want them to read. Right? It's rare. Honestly, it's rare. It is. <laughs> so yeah. it is, I, I'm very touched that she, uh, she does read them. So right yeah. yeah books man you know like books it's all about books right <laughs> right it's all about the books, books man. <laughs> i mean i i don't know about you guys i don't know how you decided to be writers but um for, i never wanted to be a writer i just said i want to write books that was mm -hmm. for me the thing wow. like i want to make books mm -hmm. and um that was being a writer sounded like a miserable life and I, <laughs> I was like but making books you know if you write books then you're creating these things that you yeah. love so that that for me is the most that's a priority for me Definitely. yeah I think it was like about like uh manipulating people for me <laughs> <laughs> tell me more about that in the beginning I'm thinking way back like um, I, I was just thinking about this recently that like I won a writing contest in like fourth grade. I think mm. I was just talking about this. Wasn't I, Alex? Did I bring this up on the podcast? Oh, God, no idea. <laughs> okay. So it was a memorable story. Um, well, we, and we've done a few. I remember they were like, okay, so what you have to do is write a fiction story mm -hmm. and, um, and whoever wins gets to meet Robert Newton Peck. And mm. I we went home. Told this. No. Okay. I went home and this is what I thought to myself. I thought, eh, I know what people want. I'll just give them what they want. And I wrote a story and I won the contest. And I was oh like, God. see, I knew it. Oh my God. Really? <laughs> yes. And, oh, but amazing. you know, and I always was like a huge reader. I was always reading, constantly reading. And, and I think, you know, from, from such um, shitty beginnings on my part, it, it turned into something that I, that really became part of me and um, you know, a way that I, that I could like communicate, you know um, 
But so what yeah. do people want? What is it? What mm-hmm. do people want? Well, I, want that's Lindsay. that's what I want to know. Listen, what did you want, write? They want everything to have a smell. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Smell. yeah I, think, I, I think I, I did a lot of sensory stuff. Yeah. Like I, I did a lot of like, you know, here's what the weather was like and here's what he was thinking. You know, I was just like, I just have to really describe like in the moment, man, I don't know why I thought like that. I was just like, I know what people want and I can do it. <laughs> Well, that's kind of amazing, actually. You should probably be a PI too. It's, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> well, it's kind of amazing that you knew what people want wanted, to, and you were able to deliver it. But then again, like there are a lot of people doing sensory writing out there, and they're not winning the contest. You know no, what I mean? Not. That's right. Okay, I smelled Robert Newton Peck's whiskey breath, and nobody else did. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's kind of interesting. I think I mean I, I don't know. I think I don't give people what they want <laughs> i think i give them something yeah, yeah. they don't want I and try and make them want it yeah i definitely sense? don't yeah. i don't know if you've if you've read this one yet but i'm just going to give you this recommendation which uh coffee house put out a book recently called when women kill oh yeah mm-hmm. oh i want to read that by, it's so it's a book in translation by a chilean author that we're actually having on the show oh cool her name is alia tribuco zaran and she goes back and investigates Four historical killings, Chilean oh killings. I want to read that by women, and she kind of like reinjects them with her modern understanding and his, her, you know, historical historical perspective. And the book is fucking wild. It is okay. unbelievable. I will check that. But it's like coffee house press. Yeah, okay. yeah, coffee house. Yeah, but um, There's yeah. So- no, I agree with you. There's so many weird weirdo books that that slipped through the cracks i love the weirdo books i was thinking yeah. about it recently i was like would catch 22 be published today with absolutely a not never no. oh my god no never. Way. and that's my favorite that's one of my very favorite oh. books wow. there's so many examples like that too erica i think where you could name whatever it may you know i think of even something like um oh my god i'm blanking on the name of my favorite book <laughs> i literally been am been there so long see you tomorrow yeah winesburg ohio yeah no so long see you tomorrow right okay. right yes that there's no way at that right. page count that it would be published the way it was you know and serialized in the new yorker there's just absolutely right. no way and right. that book is i don't know a masterpiece it's like right. yeah I, there's so many like that oh great gatsby would never be published today right exactly Captain the rye would never be published yeah, today. i mean like it's crazy it's, it, yeah like they'd say oh it's too slow or yeah. the action's off screen or whatever they say you know exactly. what i mean it's, just, it's amazing the action's like, off screen oh my yeah. god it hurts <laughs> you know, it hurts <laughs> i want to know about you guys and your processes because you like was doing the nice podcast thing and everything but i want to know about you guys like how, what how do you guys what are your processes Boy. Alex, you go. <laughs> I hate you. Uh, <laughs> you know, Erica, I've written so little in the past two years. I mm. I was I was revising and revising and revising a book, and we were on submission for a long time. And that was I was I was like surprisingly taxed by that, and I was embarrassed by how taxed I was by it because. And Alex has very young daughters. Very young. Oh, how old? Yeah uh it's almost two and almost four. Oh god and i was working i was working kind of a crazy i'm working kind of a crazy schedule and we're doing this show and yeah. the show was really a lifeline just to be able to talk to a buddy and kind of stay in the world of books i think because i was so burned out on the project that i was 
working on for so long. And uh, so, yeah, I haven't written a lot. Um, I have, I have a start of something that I'm excited about, but I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of all or nothing with most things. And so right now I'm more all in on watching playoff hockey than I am on like, you know, working on the novel, but it'll, it'll be there. I I do have an, I do have enough where I know that I'm excited and I'm going to return to it, but yeah. I think you need the breaks though. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's, I can't keep going. Like, Oh yeah. I don't for me it's like binge and purge kind of yes you know Mm -hmm. although you're not allowed to say that because it's triggering but um (laughs) you know but it is like I some people are like they are like soldiers and they march on and every day you know but they don't write they'll write like what like an hour you know what I mean every day you know and I'm like I just rather you know ruin my life for a few years (laughs) and then And then, I relate and to then that. yeah, and then sort of take a break and yeah. and then do the other crap I have to do and then ruin it again. I love that. I'm going to steal that. I'd rather ruin my life for a few years. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's like, a great line. I don't know about you guys. I sometimes feel like, um, you know, it shortens your life. I feel like it shortens my, you know, for real. Yeah. But it's, but it's worth it. I don't know. Yes. How about you, Lindsay? What's your, pro- what's your process like? when I, so I, I, uh, I had a novel out on submission right when the pandemic started. Oh God. And so that was a nightmare and it went through, um, it went my editor at FSG had the option and she wanted to buy it, but her boss passed. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so that happened. And then, um, we went back out, uh, some months after that. And there was excitement from a bunch of editors like, oh, yes, I can't wait to read Lindsay's book. And then ultimately they all said no. Um, Uh, And then I got some feedback on how I could make it have more of a plot, speaking of plot. (laughs) And um, so I rewrote it. Mm -hmm. Oh, and in the meantime, while it was on submission, I wrote this other book. Mm -hmm. Um, Amazing. Really? I was just going to say. whole other book? I don't know what got into me. I honestly don't. I, you were I think on it was, fire. You were just like going, 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 going. Yeah. Cause like the novel that was out on submission, I wrote, um, you know, in the 18 months before that. Mm-hmm. And then I had this new idea for this other novel. So I just wrote that. I just worked on it like every day. Um, how every long, spare... how long did you work? I mean, how long was it on submission? That, so that, that process, working... that process, that process was ended up being like, uh, like, like a year to 15 months of, of, oh. of like, we sent it to my, my original editor. Oh my God. And then like yeah. months passed where like, you know, but how'd you write the book in 15 months? Right. I mean, I, I did like kill I, myself to do that. Like, how'd I you do honestly that? don't know. I don't know how I did it. I just, it was like a, it was like a, one of those times in my life where I, I knew what I was going to write. Like I just sat down and I just wrote it. And that kind of happened to me with my last novel, eat only when you're hungry. Mm. And so I was like, I knew that I had to, I was just on something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And then I rewrote the original novel and in the hopes that we could send it out again with a more of a plot with the same characters and sort of the same themes. Mm-hmm. And then while that was happening, my friend Roxanne Gay contacted me and said, do you have any books? that aren't published. And I said, yeah, here's the situation. I have this book that I've now rewritten. And I also have this other weird book. It's like super weird. It's my murder book. And she took the murder book. And so she (gasps) she took that. So that's coming out next year, but it's called called hot Springs drive. I I think I'm in this process right now where I'm like, 
nothing actually means anything but fam like my children yeah. Mm. Yeah. and i'm i think that's because i need a break yeah <laughs> so God, that's you, where i'm you at right going now. though you were going like and Lindsay edits this podcast mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i mean and my child isn't napping anymore i don't know what yeah, no i've naps. lost my mind <laughs> But you have three. Oh my god! Three. Yeah, three is the next level. God. Yeah, so I'm at the point where I'm like, "Fuck everything! I just <laughs> want to run through the grass with my kids." Yes. Oh. But I will come. You know, like fun. eventually. I remember reading a Marcy Dermansky essay, and she was like, "One day your children go to school, and then and then you're like, oh yeah, I'm a writer." <laughs> so I look forward to that in the fall when my daughter goes to preschool. Oh, oh my god. So. Lindsay, I just still really can't understand how you wrote a novel in 15 months with three kids. Because I really, I thought it was going to go into organ failure when I was writing mine. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it, yeah, I, like I, it, honestly, I thought it was, I thought it was going to die. I actually thought it was, I was like, it's, I'm going to either finish this or it's going to finish me. And you just did it. Just did it. Yeah. And I didn't have to have, I didn't, damage. I didn't have to have the added like emotional weight that you were carrying as you wrote it. You know, like mine was <laughs> fiction. It was actually was based racing. on a true crime. It's really? based on a true crime. So like I'm. <laughs> Uh, title sounds my lifetime of research into true crime is coming to uh fruition here but no I think I I just I like it was a really bad year you know year plus of like dealing with the pandemic and um being scared um and and it was like a way for me to like it was just necessary I don't I worked on it like because at that time I was able to swing like hours a day because you were um, in the car. That was the big thing, right? Oh my right? god, you I would write in the car. car. That was the big one. Well, you I, would like you're dropping people off or something like yes. that. Yes, and, and I would sit in the parking lot and write. I would, I would write on That's the awesome. toilet. Okay, like I would. I was just like a crazy fiend. <laughs> Mommy's in the bathroom. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Door is locked. My my dog was sick, and so she would get up really early in the morning to pee, and I would go downstairs with her, let her out, and then I would sit and write until my kids woke up, and I was just getting. And it was like, of course I'm doing this, of course. And now I look at that and I'm like, what the hell was I doing? Like, I was just on another level. I think that just happens sometimes, you know, like you just, but I don't know, maybe it sucks. And (laughs) then afterward, you you know, you both write the way I write. So like afterward, don't you feel like you have no idea how you did it and it'll never happen again. You'll, you'll never be able to do it again. Like sometimes I'll, I'll finish. I'm like, I'll finish this big burst right and then i'm like i i oh i guess i'm done now i can't that's it you know what i mean like do you ever have that feeling yeah absolutely yeah like i thought my idea how to do it again when my book wouldn't sell i was like well i don't i this is it for me (laughs) i was like it's a good run (laughs) oh i'm well been there honey like last book yeah right same same thing and i was like well that's it i guess you know roll credits I really, you know, you have the imposter syndrome and you're like, well, I guess I really am that imposter. Yes, totally. I would tell myself things like, well, one day I'll be gardening and I'll, I'll be like a 65 year old lady with a big old sun hat and someone will wander up the lane, whatever lane I'm going to be living on. I don't know. And they're going to be like, are you Lindsay Hunter? I loved your book from, you know, 40 years ago or whatever, how, <laughs> 30 years ago. And I'm like, and that'll be nice. Maybe one day someone will be like, remember Lindsay Hunter? Isn't that so narcissistic? <laughs> no, actually, you know what? I, do you guys know the writer Lucia Berlin? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's she's my, my that's teacher. My so she what? Oh yeah, wow. she's my teacher at CU, and I'll be like, 
she we all thought she was brilliant and we were like a little Luciaites, but like um you know during her lifetime she maybe sold total 200 books right like God, is that true yeah nobody was reading her she was with this tiny tiny press called black sparrow press oh it, yeah black sparrow yeah yeah black yeah and she went with them because they weren't going to mess with her that that they weren't going to suggest any edits and that's who she wanted and then wow. nobody was reading her nobody nobody except for like us like crazy people and then like she again uh not allowed to say crazy bananas people um <laughs> sugar people so she so she like she's you know and then all of a sudden she you know what 12 years after her death or something like that like you know her friend collects her work and throws it for a strauss and they're like um and they publish her and then she's like a you know sensation Major. yeah it was like you a like bestseller that, it was huge the collected or whatever the yeah. the orange cover with the key is like yeah. ubiquitous i mean yeah. like it's i mean yeah but like her whole life no one's reading her whole That's life so, so there's hope right there's always hope. when i'm dead god there's that i don't care anymore just die you just have to die there's that, uh, <laughs> that washing machine story like oh the, yeah the, oh um, my god like i returned to that mask. yes exactly yes, like, yes. she's fuck, i can't like it's crazy that she wasn't read what a fucking genius yeah. well she, that story actually was in the atlantic and she said the only i have this like um video of her like talking about her work but she said that Atlantic was the they were the only place that would publish it that um as it was in the because the first line <laughs> would never be published today um was I don't know why Indians get so drunk oh right <laughs> but you know she wasn't racist it was like right. you know the character right it was right. the character being like that but like today today and the character's way. not like racist the character's like rejecting you know what i mean right. so it's like it's not even that but like it's just today would never never happen and some of her stuff i'm like oh lucia <laughs> 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 like it would do, not do, 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 do. it would not fly to, you know <laughs> it, because but again it's the character it's not it's not her you know but it's just it, you can't even you can't even write that way anymore you know thank you so much erica for coming on we absolutely love your book and it. uh so excited for everyone to read it and and hit us up and talk to us about it because it's incredible you have to read this book oh thank you guys it's been so incredible talking to you both and i'm i'm so excited to just be on your show thank you so much thank, thank you, you erica That was awesome. That was awesome. She's great. That book is so incredible. It's I, just. <laughs> it has everything. It, it has everything it has I could everything. ever want in a book. It's it's one of my favorite books we read for the show. I absolutely loved it. It's, but also just be aware, anyone reading it, you're going to be so enraged. Disgusted. <laughs> absolutely disgusted. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's, my, it's horrific. And ready to be mad. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there were part, there were, there were at least three times and this isn't something that happens a ton to me reading. There were at least three times where I had to set the book down and like yes. take a breather. It was, yeah. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. <clears throat> um, but that's um, it. I got, I got nothing. That's it. Yeah. I, I got started, nothing either, bud. I started to read Swan Huntley's book. She's coming on. Oh, nice. Oh, we have, right. we're going to talk to Christian Collier this week. Oh yeah. Christian Collier. Yeah. 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 So good stuff. All good stuff. Perfect. All right. Well, um, 
see you on Tuesday or Wednesday or something. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. All right, buddy. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.